lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We must not be ignorant of his devices. You fighting man, Clark? You want to fight me? You want to take me on? Come on. Just come out here. Let's do it. To the death. You want? I'm dead. Wimp. Abigail, we haven't said hi yet this morning, have we? Yesterday was the first time I ever talked to you. Never even knew you before. It's good to meet you. What you just seen right there, I want that to burn in your heart and in your mind. Deeply. Yesterday, we shared that Satan, in his original state, was very beautiful. Perfectly wise. We shared that as he came down to earth and now starts doing his work on the globe, we shared that he is the arch, arch enemy of God. Of Jesus Christ. Now, what I did right there, and the reason I did that, and the reason I picked on Clark and not Nathan is because I thought Nathan may really get freaked out because i got to be in prayer group with him here after a while. <clears throat> but Clark knows me. But, but I really wasn't being funny. <coughs> Because the point I'm trying to make is this. Satan, and I emphasized this yesterday, I'm going to start here again today, he is not going to present himself to you as some creepy, ugly creature that wants to kill you and just come let me do it. Don't expect him to come up with fist dudes and say, come on, buddy, I'll take you on if you're willing to do it. I don't know if you noticed what Abigail did there. But I can remember years and years ago in FFA, 
we had this little project of selling magazines. Not my thing in any sense of the word, at least at that stage of my life, was going out to strangers and knocking on doors and, and, and trying to spark up some conversation to sell magazines. But one thing I do remember that they emphasized to us, and I see Jehovah Witness doing this all the time, and I'm not saying anything negative about them at least, but is they said if you hand out a book to them, almost always they'll take it. And that's true. You know, I had Jehovah Witness come to my house several times here uh, this winter, and the first thing they do, Hi, how you doing? And I almost had to go like that to not take that. Did you see what Abigail did? All I did was say, Hi, Abigail, I haven't seen you yet today. And she just reached right out and took my hand. It's very, very difficult. And I've become more of a people person the older I've gotten. I like to meet people. And one thing I always do is just stick my hand out. And I can honestly say, hardly ever, Hardly ever will someone not take my hand. Soldiers, do not be ignorant of that fact. I am telling you, do not be ignorant of that fact. I think it is paramount. I think it's a basic principle that we must know. Today, lest Satan would get an advantage of us, we want to explore some of his devices. And probably nothing I'm going to say today I th- will ring any more true and have any more impact than that little illustration I just did to you right there. That's just the way He works. And as we start going down through some Scriptures and we start uh, seeing some adjectives and and some verbs that describe how He works, you're going to see that that's just the way He does it. He says, Hi, Willie. How are you? We'd like to break this into two different parts. First of all, we'd like to talk a a little while about um, how his devices work in the world at large. 
Yesterday we said he was cast out of his original existence. Now he is depicted by this pentagram. This here depicts the, the heavenly realm that Kurt was talking about, the hosts. And are we thankful for the hosts of God? Bless His holy name. Thank you, Kurt. You don't even know how much of an encouragement you were to me today. But this here is also the realm of warfare. If you remember, we talked yesterday. We'll just write that back up here again. Michael and his angels were fighting against the devil and his angels. This is a realm of warfare. They have been cast to the earth. The earth, and that's what this nice circle I drew here depicts, is the earth. And and the earth has people on it. So now we have... Um, This influence, this is God's creation. He created earth. He created man. He created woman. And it was very, very special to the Creator. Very special. Above all other creation, this was His prize. Because... Way down deep in there, they had these little things called hearts that were down in here. And those hearts would connect up to God. That's what made it so special. We better give these guys hearts too. Satan hates anything and everything about what God loves. That is a principle that we must understand. If this is so special to God, then this guy has a hatred for it. Now, where we left off yesterday, the serpent was more subtle, notice that word, than any of the other beasts of the field. I may have been to Creation Museum. I like the Creation Museum. We've been there several times. One thing that we always do, and they did, that I would probably differ with a little bit. Although I know why they do it. And that is, if you go to the Creation Museum and you're walking through the five seas there, the, the seven seas, and, and you get into there where, where Adam and Eve um, are... Are, are there in, in the garden or whatever, and up in that tree there's this great big snake, and his head is just hanging down, and he's got these evil looking eyes. 
just looks evil. He's got some kind of ears or horns out of his head or something. And he is coming down and he is conversing with Eve. I would differ with that depiction. I think that he says, Hi, Christiane. Not a snake. A certain serpent comes down and we'll just actually let's just go back here to Genesis 3. A lot could be learned here and we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But Now the serpent, that's the very first um, first usage. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the, any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he came up to Eve and he said, Hello, Eve. Nice in the garden this morning, isn't it? How you been doing? Been reading your Bible, Eve? Yeah. I've had one too. I know the Bible. I've heard him say that, actually. I've my ears have heard him say that. I know everything that's in there. You know what he first thing the serpent did if you'll notice the very first words out of the serpent's mouth was quotations of God I just want you to notice that the very first words out of his mouth was he was quoting the almighty God Did God say? The woman said, yeah, that's what he said. Not supposed to eat of that fruit. The next thing he said, no, Eve. That's not what's going to happen. God knows that in the day you eat thereof that you're not going to die. Was that true? In a sense, it was. But in the greater sense, it was a lie. That is the craftiness of the devil. Right there. In a sense, it's true, 
But in the greater sense, it's not true. So we start reasoning. Well, is it true or is it not true? Um, God did say that, but is, is that what God really meant? God said, Eve, don't eat of the fruit. Period. Satan says, well, Eve, just think about it. I don't know how you picked that little incident there, but I think, this is just my own imagination. Take it as that. I think it may have taken months for this few verses to actually happen. I really do. Satan is not in a big hurry. I think he probably went on his way and maybe eventually come back again and said, Eve, the fruit is ripening. Look at it. And Eve took a second look at it and thought, hmm, it is pretty. Ah. The second look. The lust of the eye. You know, I think... um, that the young folks got together a week or two ago, Grant uh, Fulmer gave a talk about the eye. And something he said really interested me. He said that, I think he said 80% of all the information that comes into our mind comes in through the eye. That was impressive. 80% of the information that comes into our mind comes in through the eye. Now we understand why the wise fallen serpent says, Eve, did you look at the fruit? That's called the lust of the eye. Eve, that fruit really looks tasty. I bet it is probably more delicious than all the other fruit, maybe even the tree of life even. You think about it, Eve. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh comes in through the senses. We heard that at at the young folks thing too. Taste, sight, sound, smell, feel. That's how information comes in. And that is the very place that the devil hits. And even there in verse 6... How did Eve know that, wow, if I would eat that, I would be wise. 
Eve, if you do, you're going to know things that are amazing that you don't know now. The pride of life. Pride drives humanity. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eye. Lust of the flesh. The pride of life. Eve finally succumbed. And you all know what happened. It's such a perfect depiction of what the devil has to offer. He promises you everything and don't come through with anything. That is just His nature. He'll promise you the world. And He will give you nothing less than that. The world. By one man, sin entered into the world. It finally made its entrance into the world. Into the very best of creation. And consequently, death by sin. Romans 5. I know I've said it before, but I just want to say it again. In the context of of, of that verse there, in, in Romans 5, verse 12, the devil wants you dead. I have heard it over and over again. We're going to kill you. World. Sin has entered into the world. Cosmos. Uh, just simply means decoration. Uh, as I picture it, okay, we've got the globe here and now God uh, puts something on it. Uh, he decorates it. It's a, it's a, a cosmos. Um, if you look at, uh, at what the decoration was, it's humanity. So sin has entered into humanity by one man. And so death by sin. It's entered in there. He that committeth sin is of the devil. John says, we quoted that yesterday. Because he has sinned from the beginning. And he comes down in his intention and his sole purpose is to make every one of these cosmos decorations sin. Because he knows if he can just get them to sin, sin produces death. And that's his 
ultimate goal. Why? Because God is life. And in Him there is no death whatsoever. He's also light and there is no darkness whatsoever. Then we start hearing phrases like this. This is Jesus speaking in John 14. The prince... If you remember that yesterday? Star, angel, prince. All very similar words. I think even a lot of them come from the same Greek words. The prince of this world cometh. And Jesus said, He has nothing in me. Nothing. Now, the reason I injected that verse here is because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So if Satan has nothing in him, then that means he is the God of darkness. And darkness has entered into the world. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But one of the things there is he says we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That is what he's talking about. And I want you to notice that language. Ruler. Ruler of the darkness of the world. When someone rules, they have subjects under him. Right here. That's what Merle talked about Friday night. There's masters. There's rulers. Etc. etc. A lot of words you could use there. But when someone rules... They have subjects under Him. Ephesians 6. We wrestle against rulers of the darkness of this world. Now we want to give you even a further definition of the word world. We said that world was cosmos, decoration, humanity. But as in the sense that He is a ruler of the darkness of the world, I really would actually like for you to write this down. It's just another part of the definition. I'm going to read it through kind of quickly, and then I'll read it through slowly again. The present condition of human affairs in alienation from in opposition to God. Now read that again. This is the definition of world. He is the ruler of the darkness of the world. The present condition 
of human affairs in alienation from and opposition to God. That is not pretty. What is developing is the God of this world, the ruler of this world, is having impact by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all because we all have sinned. Now, Brother David talked about generational sin last night. And I agree with him what he said. I think generational sin has got stretched pretty far. In this context, in the context of an excuse for the presence of sin, in that context, I don't buy it. It's not an excuse. But I do buy it in the sense that this thing goes like um, leaven. It moves from generation to generation. Generational sin is not an excuse, but that because it's not an excuse doesn't mean that it is not existent. I think it is. And there's various means that that could happen. But I want you to know that Satan has entered into the very nature of man, and now it's just his simple inclination to follow him, which puts us in alienation of God. Now, to be an alien means that you're apart from. You're out of the place of. And, and there's Bible verses that talks about that, that we have all been there. Colossians 1, etc. And not only that, but it is in opposition to God. That's the ruler of the darkness of this world's intent. Is that the cosmos, the humanity would end up being in alienation from, and consequently, and ultimately, his goal would be that it would literally be in opposition to. That is his ultimate goal. We're going to read about some of that here in a little bit. <clears throat> now, why did all this happen? You know, there are just some verses here, and we're not turning to these because I've got a lot of them written down. But, but if you want to write down 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in fact, maybe we'll just turn to that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4.
guess we'll just start reading at the very first verse. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. I just want you to notice the language. Every time we start reading the language about our enemy, we start getting this connivering type language going on. He's wise. He's worldwise. Uh, dishonesty, walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves... <clears throat> Uh, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost. Notice verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. First we had the prince of the world, and then we have the rulers of the world, and now we've got the God of this world. That is His goal. You remember there in, in uh, Isaiah 14? His goal was to be like the Most High. And now this text says that the God of this world literally pulls the blinds down on the minds of humanity just so light won't shine in. In Satan's mind, the worst thing that could happen would be light would shine into these people. That would be the ultimate terribleness. See, Paul's the blinds down over their minds. Sounds kind of hopeless, doesn't it? But you'll notice there it says, those which believe not. You know, you know uh, Jesus said that you know, He scatters seed. It's the Word of God. He scatters seed. And you know what uh, uh, He says? Those that fall in hard hearts, he said, birds come. Snap it away. You know what that is? It's the devil. That's what he says. That's just how he is working. He is in direct opposition and he is in alienation to God. And that, folks, is the world we live on. That's where we're at. That is the state of humanity. Out of that, and we don't even, we couldn't possibly even start to cover all, but out of that formulates false religion. Where did Buddha come from? Where did Muhammad come from? Come from human reasoning. And rationalization. Um, you know, I just wrote down some stuff here. Um, philosophy. Science. Just knowledge in general. You know, the, the God of this world says, um, you know, be thinking uh, of, of uh, 
you know, using our minds to develop, to, to um, create our own existence. Really what He wants us to be is, is our own God. Uh, that's the whole New Age movement is it, that you are gods. I'm working with a lady right now and, and we really haven't got real far, but, but wow, uh, it's just... Um, She's just talking about being in tune with the trees and, and how uh, matter is as we choose to be humans and da 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 and it's like woo and and that's just kind of where where all that goes. It's just Satan's wisdom because why? You remember what he wants? There's two things that I said yesterday that Satan wants more than anything else. Who can tell me? He wants to be like God. He wants to be like God, but for a reason he wants to be like God. That's, you got him right there. He wants glory and he wants worship. He knows. If the light of the glorious gospel gets in here, he's not going to get it. He wants to be like the Most High. He wants to take his place. He wants to be in the place of. Um, just a couple more uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, John 5.19. And we're just kind of quoting parts of verses here, but here's what he says, and I've... I've Mused at this, he says, The whole world lieth in wickedness. That's where we are at. We're talking about the state of humanity in the absence and alienation of God now. That's what we're talking about. Is it just lies in wickedness? I, I just, whenever I think of that, I always just think of marination, and you, you girls would know more about that. But, but you know, I just picture a, a big plate of of tomatoes with some uh, um, different spices and so on. you got that oil stuff in there and you just let it marinate in there. We do that with meat sometimes. You know, we'll put, we'll put um, um, barbecue sauce on it and we'll just let it set there. Because it just kind of sets there. And don't do anything but just soak up whatever it's laying in. That's just the picture I get. The whole world is just lying in wickedness. Paul says that without God, we have no hope in the world. Ephesians 2. I know I didn't quote that quite right, but that's just simply what he says. There is simply no hope without God. You know what that is? That is the ultimate bondage prison of the devil. I want you to know that. He is all about binding us. The cords of a, a man, or the, the, a man's sins are the cords that wrap him up in Ephesians, or Proverbs 5 there. I can't quite quote it right, but, but it's just, he just starts binding us and binding us and binding us until finally he has thrown us in the prison and we are in bondage without hope. Because there's no hope in the world without God. 
I just want to go back there and read one verse in Isaiah 14 that we read yesterday. Isaiah 14. We'll just read two verses here. And remember, this is a prophecy that that we shared concerning Lucifer. Uh, We'll start reading at verse 16. They that see thee, speaking of, of Lucifer, shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? That made the world as a wilderness? And destroyed the cities thereof? And that opened not the house of his prisoners? Yes. That's the picture. When he has finally wrapped you up into a prison where you say there is simply no hope, he is not in the least interested in opening that door. Nor will he ever. The devil is the father of lies. John 8. He is a liar from the beginning and Jesus says there is no truth in Him. I want you soldiers to understand and listen to that. There is no truth in Him. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. All He wants is to get you bound in prison without hope and He will not open the door and there you are till you die. That is terrible. It is black. It is dark. But that is our enemy. Into that environment, the Bible says... God so loved the world that He was willing to take His precious Son and literally send Him into it. That was a brave move. That gives you the context, the setting of the environment that Jesus came into. We'd like to turn to Luke uh, chapter 4 just briefly. In fact, let's go to Isaiah 61. I like that one a little better. It's just, uh, I've got to have at least a little bit of light in this message. Isaiah 61. This is a a prophecy of Jesus. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is the one who came down into that stinky mess that I just told you about. Because He has anointed me to preach good tidings to this mess. He has sent me to bind up and fix up those who have been broken apart by the devil. And to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Hallelujah! 
Thank you, Lord. St. John chapter 15. We're going to have to have so I can see that. Jesus came into the world and He said the world knew Him not. An alien. A complete alien to that existence that we just talked about. Uh, St. John 15, verse 18. And He's talking to the disciples here and soldiers. uh, Let's listen up. Let's listen up. This is vital. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now what the picture I'm getting is, is that as the devil has come down here, he has infiltrated these people. He has actually gotten himself an army, if you choose, of followers. People who are sold out to Him. People who have put their ear to the door and said, Devil, go ahead and pierce it. He just wants to be like the Most High. So whatever the Most High does, He'll do the same. Pretty simple really, isn't it? If, we read on, if ye were of the world, the world would love His own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now what has happened now as Jesus has come into the world, He has established what we call church. You'll notice that is not out here. It's in there. Right in it. You'll also notice that even though I've got a circle around to depict it, the church is that. People. That's what the church is. The church is people that have come out of this. The world. He came to redeem people out of that. To let them out of the prison. To liberate them to the greatest degree that they can be free in Him in the context of the world. Very important to know that. First John chapter two. First John chapter two. 
We'll start reading at verse 18. My soldiers, my little children, my soldiers, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that now we hear a phrase, Antichrist. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. I just want to turn over to chapter 4 of 1 John. We'll just start reading at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that Spirit of Antichrist. Where have you heard that it should come? What I am saying, what I am hearing, what I am reading is, now this is the ultimate enemy. This is lying in wickedness. It's just marinating in it. This has taken a stand against it. This has now become the great target of the enemy. Soldiers understand that. Antichrist. I'm just going to make one quick comment about Antichrist. It's been a burden on my heart for quite a few years. All of my growing up days, maybe it's just because of my own ignorance, but I always have heard Antichrist in the context that someday there will be an Antichrist, the Antichrist, I heard over and over again, that will rise up as a man of sin and he will rule. So in my mind, it's like, okay, someday Antichrist will show up. That's not what this Scripture is telling me. At least exclusively. I'm not saying that, that there never will be a man rise up. The closest I can find to even uh, a, a proper name, I think, is in 2 Thessalonians 2, where it says, uh, he calls him the capital wicked. But you will not find... In the, book, in the Bible, anywhere where it says the Antichrist. Now, I'm not saying that there will not be a person, a man, a whatever. I've heard different discussions about what that will be. The point I'm making is this. Soldiers, the spirit of Antichrist is here now. Alive and well. And not only that, but there are many antichrists. If you want a definition for that, here it is. Antichrist.
We said yesterday, he makes war with the Lamb of God. It is his enemy. He simply hates him because it's God's beloved Son for no other reason. We do. We need to turn to 2 Corinthians 11. I know you all know this, but for me, I just like to read it sometimes. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles. I want you to just notice this. Uh, we're talking about this context now of the church and the enemies of the church. How, what, what is the tactics of the church? Or, or the enemy against the church? One thing he says, well... Um, Let's just start emulating what God does. So he had prophets. I'll just have some prophets. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Mine are false prophets, of course. The Bible says, the truth says that. He don't say that. There are, for such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. I want you to notice that. That word transform is the very same transform as you'll find in Romans 12.2. Exactly the same word. The devil will literally change form. into something else. That just simply means going from a worm to a butterfly. That's what that means. The devil will do that. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. We see... A picture of this trying to become this. I wrote down somewhere this. Satan doesn't care if you profess Christianity. He just don't want you to practice it. I really don't think the term Christian is a bad word to the devil. In fact, I think he kind of likes it. He don't come to you as some ugly snake wanting to fight. He said, let's go to church together. I'm going to read a thing here and then we're going to abruptly come to a close and I'm going to pick up this tomorrow. I'm not even going to get done. 
read just a couple paragraphs here out of this book. Just listen closely. A trained Christian soldier, soldiers, knows that his bitterest opposition will not come from the drunkard or the common thief or the harlot, but rather from professed ministers of religion. Soldiers, we've got to listen to this. It was the religious leaders who nailed the Christ of God to the cross. It was religious leaders who persecuted the early church. Paul met his most savage attacks from the hands of those who professed to be God's servants. So it has been down through the years. Satan's ministers are transformed as the ministers of righteousness. They speak religious language. They wear religious clothes. And they act with an affected piety, but their hearts are filled with hatred for Christ and for the Gospel. That is the attack of the devil on the church in our day. He hates you! I've always said many times and prayed this numerous times at the onsets of retreats and different things like that, that you just expect God to mess up the schedule. And I believe that, but it feels kind of different when I'm the one doing it. So I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> we were talking about the devil transforming himself into an angel of light. Actually, it's, 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 a, it's a Greek word, metamorpho. It just means metamorphosis. So, so we see not only the devil, but now the devil has these little people down here called false prophets and false teachers and ministers of His doing His evil work. Where? In the church. Not outside trying to get in, although that is their origin, in the church. I see them, maybe it's kind of like a, a little parasite that kind of squiggles in. There's a term that's kind of new to me, but I want to talk about it a little bit at this point. 
That term is called duplicity. Duplicity. And as you can probably tell by that word, it, it, it has meanings of duplicate or dual, <coughs> two. And, and according to this information, and I believe it to be true, that Satanists and workers of the kingdom of darkness try to implant in the mind dual meanings to one thing. Dual persons to one title. Duplicity. Some of what I'm going to read here probably explains it better than I can. So I'm going to read some out of the pamphlet I have here. And we're reading this right in the context of, of the devil transforming himself into something else, okay? Um, <clears throat> this is talking about Anton LaVey. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. I don't know if any of you know who he is or not. I didn't. I had to look it up. Anton LaVey. And who he is, he was around back in the 60s. And he actually was the originator of the Church of Satan. That's where all that started. And the Lord only knows how big and how far-reaching all that's went. So that's who Anton LaVey is. Anton LaVey's goal was to create duplicitous people. Serving God by day and Satan by night. Thus, notice this, negating serving God at all. Notice that. That's what happens. That's our normal inclination. Is that when we buy into um, the devil's program, we'll... Will always migrate that way. It just comes natural. In duplicity programming, there is a Christian light side, but it is not relationship, it is religion. I want you to notice that. This is very, very vital when we're talking about the devil's attack on the church. He's got this side, it's called light. But you must be discerning on what He is. What it really is. And according to this article, it's not the thing that we value so much as relationship. It's just simply religion. It is not the born-again experience that results in the Holy Spirit leading into all truth and helping with accurate discernment. The ultimate gotcha for a Satanist is attacking the character of God. 
Satan left God and declared himself God. We talked about that yesterday. He set up a counterfeit. I want you to notice this. He set up a counterfeit for everything God has. The cult uses Satan's plan. Satan says he and God, notice, are one. I want you to notice that. This is duplicity at its core. They are the both sides of the same coin. And that just describes it about as good as to me as anything. I don't have a coin in my pocket, but you take a coin... And what a Satanist says is, you've got God on one side, you've got the devil on the other, they're the same thing. Looks different, same thing. They pervert Scripture and Christian doctrine to prove it to the victim. They distort things like Jesus being fully God and fully man and Jesus asking on the cross why God forsook Him. This is hard to grasp, but for the Satanist LaVey, he taught the higher you go up on both sides, Satanism on the dark, Christian leader on the right, and I want you to notice that, Christian leader on the light, the greater the sacrifice to Satan. The closer you get to serving each in perfection is the ultimate goal. Of course, the service to God in this case is an internal false God and false trinity and so on and so on. That is sobering to me. That is the starter of the church of Satan. <clears throat> and his ultimate goal was to get leaders in both. And the greater and higher rank they came in both, the greater the sacrifice to Satan was. So what that tells me is, there is great effort to do that. Serve God on the day, Satan at night. In the church. Now we say, well, that's so big and that's so out there. No, that's here. It's in America. You remember what I told you when I had the mic off this morning? It's here. At least the potential. That happened in a conservative Anabaptist brethren home. <clears throat> we read there in First Timothy four that there were those in the last days who will give heed to I want you to just I'm just kind of picking out some phrase here seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 
This is not some kind of unique language. This is real stuff that we can get a grip on. There is teaching of devils that happens in this red circle right here. We must know that. <clears throat> we want to turn to the book of Jude. <clears throat> and sometime, if you, we're not going to spend a lot of time here at all, but if you want to really do a character study, a unique character study indeed, and that would be the character study of a false prophet... And soldiers, I think I would recommend that. I really do. I did that a while, uh, several years ago. And I think it does us well. Because our enemy isn't way out here somewhere. He is interested in being in here. So we better understand and know who and what he is. <clears throat> Verse 4 of the book of Jude. For there are certain men crept in unawares. It's like these little parasites that are sneaking in. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They are ungodly men turning the grace of our God into uh, some sort of sensual lasciviousness. If you really want to know what that is, it just means the exploitation of, of um, immorality in the sex of the body. We might as well just say it. Now, you reflect back a year or two in the news and what have you seen out of the churches. Time after time after time after time, there is, there is immorality, there is um, um, uh, unfaithfulness to partners, there is child uh, molestation, and so on and so on. Where? In that circle. Now we say, well, this is really, really big. In my experience of time, there's been abortion, there's been homosexuality, there's been divorce, there has been uh, child molestation, there has been all of that that I am aware of in my time. In the church that I've been affiliated with. Soldiers, this isn't something that's in Africa or out in, in, in central uh, New Mexico. It's here. I know this is terribly negative, but it's real. <clears throat> okay. I want to go to 2 Peter 2. What I was going to say a little bit ago is, if you want to do a character study of a false prophet, you read down through the book of Jude. Um... And also read 2 Peter 2. The, those two chapters, they almost read word for word. I think one copied it off the other. <clears throat> but these, this is the last times we live in. Satan is on the loose. He is a roaring lion. Um, 2 Peter 2, verse 1, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. I want you to notice that. False teachers among you, which are going to bring in all kind of damnable heresies and, and teachings that are against the truth. But they're going to present them as truth. 
Satan's not going to stand up here with horns in his head and a tail sticking out with an arrow on the end of it and try to convince you of something. No. He's going to be a minister. A preacher. A teacher. A prophet. Very, very sobering. We just want to hit a couple verses here. Um, We're just going to just bop through them here in this chapter. Verse 14. <clears throat> these, these, the character of a false prophet, they have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Notice this, beguiling. I want you to notice these words. Beguiling unstable souls. That's why we have things like this, that, 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 um, like Bible school. Because we need to be planted firm on a foundation like David said last night. If you're unstable... You can be beguiled. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, can't you just hear it coming out? They allure. They allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those who were clean escaped from them who live in error. What an awful picture. We read on in verse 19. <clears throat> Very interesting. This is one of those verses I got in brackets. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought back into the prison cell. This is talking about activity inside this circle right here. Judas, one of the twelve, the devil put into his mind. That's what the Bible says. The devil put it in there. He even sold the Lord. He was one of the inner group. We have Ananias and Sapphira. He was one of the inner groups. You know what Peter said? Why did you lie against the Holy Spirit? He was in the inner group. There's many more we could, we could talk about. I just want to appeal to you young people... In duplicity, as the devil tries to present himself as good and evil, or tries to present himself as good when he is evil. To me, it's huge in our day. And, and if you want me to be really pour my heart out, and I know Grant and Joe talked a lot about this, but it is in the area of where Lucifer was originally created. Vials, tabrets, music. I think Lucifer has done more damage to the doctrine, to the teaching, and to the meaning of music in our day. It has totally been adulterous to God's intent for it. 
I grew up in a day I shared in my small group. I grew up in the 70s. I grew up with rock and roll, Aerosmith, ACDC, Led Zeppelin. You put it all in there, the harder the better. I love that stuff. I would get home from work at night and I'd shut my van off. I'd go out the next morning and turn the key on and it was so loud. It's like, good night. Turn the volume down. And by the time I got to work, each song would come on. I'd just crank it up a little bit more and a little bit more. And, and that just happened over and over again. I just communed with that music. And that just took me down, down, down until I was doing hard drugs. You say, oh, I didn't have anything to do with it. My friend, it does. And now we've got duplicity at its best. We say, we'll take that music and we'll call it Christian. This is in our day. And this is inside here. I'm not going to repeat everything Grant said the other weekend, but I tell you, it's just it's astounding to me. The depths that the devil has taken that one little area of music too. And he calls it Christian. When the, the well, we don't even get into it. We move on. Apparel. Entertainment. Whatever. I'm just telling you soldiers, be aware. I just, this is really kind of off the side, but it just comes to my heart. You know, I like to go to Christian stores and Christian bookstores and stuff, but it just amazes me. And this gets back to a little bit of what David said about what really does the cross mean. I go in there and there's just walls full of nostalgia and stuff and cups and everything else. And, and you know, I've got some of it at home. I admit I do, but I just, I'm puzzled with that. It's like, is this what Christianity is really about? Exactly. Satan has got a goal in mind that I think is probably a great one. And that is to divide. And he's doing pretty good at it. There's a friend of mine. I've heard him say it so many times. And the course of life he's taken, I just, I can't even believe it. But that's okay. I don't judge him. He told me, Satan wants to divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. He told me that over and over again. What he wants to do is start creating this and call that the church. I tell you, when the church... Uses, loses its unity, it's lost its effectiveness. 
against the power of darkness. I believe that. And the devil knows that. And he wants this thing divided. Why? Because Jesus wants it together. He wants us to have relationship just like He has relationship with us. He desires that. He longs for that. And Satan knows that. And that's why he wants to divide. Now, I want to get real close and real personal. And the reason I'm going here is because this gets so close to my heart. So what I'm saying is, Lord, You rebuke my heart right now. I, I like to be funny. <clears throat> I like to joke. I, 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 just, I like to laugh. Sometimes to my detriment. Um, you can be turning to 1 Timothy 4 if you want to while I'm telling this. Um, I just like to be jokey, and it concerns Becky quite frequently when I get up to preach because she don't really know for sure what I may say, and and I might pull some funny off and whatever, and may not be exactly edifying, and so I struggle with this. I just admit I do. <clears throat> but last night, I was sitting in my room in the chair there studying. And a lot of you young folks is out there singing, and I tell you, it just blessed my heart so much. And before long, I heard the chorus teacher's voice out there. And so, you know, doing it just blessed me so much. Thank you, Anthony. I, I just, and all of you, whoever was there, a lot of you were. And, and so, anyways, the singing ended, and then there was some discussion and chatting, and, and it just blessed my heart. It did. It just, I just, it just warmed my heart because... One thing I like about uh, settings like this is we got people from different uh, denominations and different, uh, uh, not necessarily cultures, but just different places. And, and we just come together and we worship the Lord together. We have a unity of heart and spirit and purpose. And I think it's so necessary. And that's why I'm saying what I'm going to say. I think the devil wants us to divide. He wants us broken all parts in little pieces. I heard a lot of laughing out there and a lot of talking. And, and then, uh, um, you know, I just before long, baptism, I heard that word floating around and so on. And, and uh, I won't get personal uh, Christian or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I heard that, so I was just, I, I just quit studying and just listening to that, and it just, yeah, I could just relate to all that. It just, it was just bless my heart, you know, and uh, so, you know, we were just, I, I could just hear that, and there was discussion, and da-da-da, and this and that and that, and, and it did, I just, I just literally was in there, I could hear Becky out there, and I just was in there just smiling, because I could just, I just relate to that. It's just like, man, this is just good Christian fellowship. Have a little fun. That's part of it. You know, we get together and have some good times. But there was a little part of me that cried. I heard a few borderline snide remarks. 
about fellow Christians and their baptisms. I'm not going to go any farther with that. But they become the blunt of some laughs. And I'll just tell you, I kind of smiled inside my own heart too. And you know why I did? I'll tell you why I did. And my prayer group knows this. By nature, I am a very inferior person. Very much so when I was younger. And an inferior person, I have noticed through the years, tries to put down someone else in an attempt to raise themselves up. You know what it's called? It's called pride. You know where that comes from? Right there. And that can come into our church circles. And I'm going to tell you what it will do, soldiers. It will divide. Soldiers, we can't afford that. We cannot afford it! You know, when Becky and I was first married, we would get couples together, and we we were just a good, fun, loving couples together at tables, and and there was something started happening. And and that's why I referred you to 1 Timothy 4, because whenever I counsel uh, married folks, I always come here. Now, I just want to read here just a verse or two. Uh, And this is talking, yeah, we're just not even going to go into the context. Verse 14 of 1 Timothy 4. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, and now notice, starting right here, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, Kurt talked about the tongue a little bit ago, and I heartily endorse what he said. Excuse me, 1 Timothy 5. Sorry about that. My two chapters are right side by side there in the same page. 1 Timothy 5, verse 14. I'll read it again. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. I'll tell you what happened. We would get together as couples. We'd start talking. We'd get in this, that kind of that mood, you know, fun, loving, chitty-chatty, laughy, goofy, so on and so on. And before long, what started happening was, was I would start saying something kind of in a snide way about Becky to the whole group. And we'd all laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah, it's because of something she did that I wasn't man enough to dress her about. And then someone else would do that. Yeah, my wife or my husband, they, they did so and so. <laughs> We'd all laugh until we went home. We would go home and it would be quiet. And there would be such a breach in the car. Feelings were hurt. Hearts were torn apart. And there was this thing called division happening until Becky and I finally discerned what was going on. 
And we purposed in our heart that we was going to stop speaking reproachfully about each other in public. And I tell you, soldiers, I am pleading with you, don't do it in the church. We cannot afford it. I tell you what, my heart says all hell is about to break loose. I think it is. There is nothing I see in our society that tells me that life as we know it is going to continue on real long. And I think we're going to need each other really, really bad. We cannot afford this. Divide and conquer. Just one little illustration. I'm going to be brief and then we're going to close. I seen a little video once of a, a humpback whale and a calf. I think they were in the Pacific and they were making their way up north. I don't even know why they were going. I forget. I forget the details. But, but they were right together. The big humpback and the little, the little uh, calf was swimming along and swimming along. I think like a thousand miles. They had a huge journey. I mean, just long, 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 long way. And there was a killer whale just swimming around. You know one of those Shamu kind? He just started tantalizing those whales and just kind of tantalizing them and just kind of swim along with them for mile after mile. And he would just kind of come up close to the, to the mother and she would kind of react to it and he'd kind of come up to the baby and, and mama would spin around like this and obviously start hindering progress and, and try to protect the calf because she, she knew what that whale wanted. And I want to tell you something. He wants children. I'm telling you that. He wants children. So that little scenario kept going on, and before long you could tell Mama was getting tired and, and the little baby was getting wore out, and this, this whale just kept doing this and tantalizing and, and poking and, and so on. Before pro, a long progress had totally stopped, and they were, they were or at least very, very, very slowed, and then... At a given point, the calf got just a little bit away from Mama and the big Shamu just went whoosh, right in between. You could see it. It was amazing. Right in between Mama and calf. And started pushing calf away. And before long, circled around. Bam! Nailed that thing. Little calf just sunk. Divide and conquer. We can't afford it, soldiers. We've got to be an army that is united in purpose and spirit, or we're going to die. I just said, yes, I'm just going to close. Well, one verse I wanted to leave with you. James 4.4 4, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Don't forget that. I would like to just go to Zechariah chapter 3. Just, this is really kind of closing negatively, but such as it is, I guess. 
Zechariah chapter 3, if you've all found that, we might read a few verses within the minor prophets. And remember he's talking about duplicity and, and that, and this is just simply a picture that I just want to leave with you. It's kind of negative, but this is the real deal. Zechariah 3, verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. That's where we'll start tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord God, we stand on the promises of Your Word today. Father, as Brother Kurt shared about fear in our hearts, Lord, I trust and I pray, Lord, that what has been shared today does not strike fear necessarily in our hearts but it strikes soberness to the core of our being. Lord Jesus, I pray You will come and empower us with mighty power from on high. Father, with discerning hearts and discerning spirits that we may know truth in this our day in the church. God, be merciful to us. We confess our tendency, even in the church, is still tainted towards sin and deception. We confess that before You today. Father, we just plead for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom You sent into the church to save the church, that it would be effectual in our day, in this people, and in my life. Jesus, we pray this in the almighty name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. started out with that thing, just his subtlety. I guess kind of what I'm wanting to do is bring this, all this together to what is the first line of attack? What is our first line of defense? And what is, what should we as soldiers focus on in the light of what you have just shared. And maybe you're going to get that to that tomorrow. So first line of defense. And what should we as soldiers be focused on today? Until we get on with the rest of the message because I realize that we're we're just kind of unfolding things. This is going to be really simple, okay? The first line of attack is going to be against the truth. I know that's broad. 
But that's what it's going to be. It's going to be against truth. To say specifically what that's going to be, it's going to be something different for everybody. But it always will be an attack against the truth. Our first defense is to be built on the truth. I know this sounds so simple, but it is so absolutely foundational. We must have and believe truth. Because Jesus is the way and He is the truth. And the devil has no truth in Him. So that is what it would be. And what to be focused on, we're going to talk about this later on, but to me it is the high calling of the church in our day. And that is spiritual discernment. We've got to be discerned. I don't know if that's specific enough for you, Pete, but that's my answer. Thank you.